Good morning, First Baptist Church of Great Gables. Uh, we miss you. We hope you're having a wonderful week for those who are tuning in online. Uh, we long for you to be able to be here. We, we know the government has opened up the state of Florida full phase three. Uh, and, and there is a point in time where we want to encourage all of you to come back. But I, I say that because I'm, before we get into our sermon, I want, to, want you to know that we'll do this as long as necessary. Uh, and that we want to hear from you at what level you feel comfortable coming back to church. And so if you haven't been reached out to yet, or we haven't had a conversation personally, and you are one of those who every week is still uh, quarantining or staying home or social distancing in that way, uh, please reach out to us and let us know. I, I don't know if it's a number. I don't know if it's a vaccine. I don't know uh, exactly what it is, but whatever level you're comfortable feeling um, feeling comfortable coming back to church, we want to know so we can prepare accordingly. But until then, we'll continue to film uh, our morning worship service. And I hope that you have uh, been able to go on our website and, and look at the This Week at Gray Gables blog, which means if you have, you've been able to see all the songs we've been singing, the scripture reading that we can read before we dive into the sermon and, and then the sermon as well. So if you've been able to do that, then so far you've already uh, sung God's word, you have read God's word, we're going to pray God's word, which means you have been feasting on the word of God already. Well, this morning we are going to continue through our track through 1 Thessalonians in chapter 3. We're really going to cover verses 11 through 12, but we're going to read together verses 11 through 13 this morning. Hopefully you have your Bibles open and you're reading along with me. Uh, this morning. Here's what the Word of God says. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. First Baptist Church of Gray Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Would you join me in praying over this word this morning? Gracious Father, uh, Paul's prayer is our prayer this morning. Uh, we pray to you, to your son Jesus, asking that in a sense you would uh, direct Paul's path towards us this morning so that we might hear the inspired word that you gave him. We might be taught, that we might be edified, that we might be built up and encouraged and sanctified by your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make us increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Would you make it so by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us through your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. What's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? So says Tina Turner. I'm here to tell you this morning that love has everything to do with it. That's what we find in our passage before us. Love 
doesn't just have something to do with it. Love has everything to do with the life of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But before we get there, before we dive into our passage, uh, by way of introduction, I want to orient us to this passage. We've examined and have been, we will be in verses 11 through 12. We've examined chapter 3, but I really want to speak briefly about what this last section in chapter 3 is. What we have here is a benediction. From 11 through 13, it's a benediction or a prayer by the Apostle Paul. This is the end, really, of the first half of his letter to the Thessalonians. And so, In order to summarize what's gone on before us and to foreshadow what we'll be talking about in the rest of this letter, Paul breaks out here in a benediction, a request for blessing upon his audience, the believers in Thessalonica. Paul prays to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He prays a summary of of really what he's already stated. He asked that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ might direct their path, that's Paul and his co-laborers, to the Thessalonians. And as we saw last week, this wasn't just for some visit. He desires to go to them to perfect what it was that was lacking in their faith. But here he's going to pray not that his path is just directed to them so that he can perfect what is lacking in their faith, but also he prays that they might increase and abound in love. That's what we find at verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do you. Now catch this. Pointing out that they're lacking something in their faith, pointing out that they need to be made to increase and abound in love, this isn't a rebuke from the Apostle Paul. It's, it's much like a child you know, that, that might lack wisdom, that might lack knowledge or physical strength even because they lack maturity. In the same way, this church, this young church, does not have all that they need by way of faith, nor have they come into perfection in regards to their love for one another and for all. So Paul prays towards that end. And finally, in verse 13, we see that all of this is prayed in light of the return of Christ, which we will examine next week. Verse 13. 13 says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul has mentioned the return of Christ several times already throughout this letter, and yet one of the primary topics that's going to follow in the rest of this book will be the topic of the Lord Jesus Christ returning in all his glory. So this benediction in verses 11 through 13, it serves really as a hinge summarizing what has gone before and uh, foreshadowing what will come after. And so I offer you that by way of introduction, uh, but really we're only going to focus on verse 11 briefly and, and mainly unpack verse 12 this week. We'll return to verse 13, Lord willing, next week. In our text, Paul here prays for their sanctification. Right? In verse 11, we find Paul praying for the very thing we discussed in depth last week. The first issue that Paul prays for is that the Lord would direct his path back to the Thessalonians. He said that he was praying for it in verse 10, and then he prays for it here in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. 
We considered at length last week that Paul was concerned about their faith. He was concerned about perfecting what is lacking in their faith. There were things that they had not yet understood. Some of them, uh, their former ways of thinking had not yet been undermined by the magnificent truths of God's glorious gospel. So this young church, they needed instruction. They needed to see their place in God's beautiful and compelling redemptive drama. They needed to understand the inferences and teachings that necessary flow from that drama. Paul's not simply concerned with the quantity of their faith, that is the strength of their faith. He didn't simply want them to believe more, though certainly Paul desired for them to be fully convinced at what they'd already been taught. But Paul was concerned about the quality of faith. In other words, Paul knew that believing the wrong things with great conviction was not going to help them stand in the faith and persevere until the end. Believing the wrong things with all their heart and strength and emotions was not going to do them any good when persecution, suffering, and affliction came upon them. Furthermore, as we considered this week, uh, uh, it, this wasn't simply about head knowledge. We considered this last week. It wasn't simply about head knowledge. It was about their hearts and their hands also. And so Paul will rightly teach them to understand the fate of those who die before Jesus Christ returns in chapter 4. He'll perfect what was lacking in their faith regarding their understanding of what happened to people who die. It wasn't just so that they would know this. This was so they would know how to grieve as one who understands who God is and what Christ has accomplished. He wants their emotions to be impacted. He wants how they feel to be a reflection of what they believe. Remember, we talked about this. Right doctrine, my conviction is, right doctrine changes my emotional experience. Likewise, our conduct, therefore, is shaped by right doctrine. Paul prays, that God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ would direct their way back to the believers in Thessalonica so that the apostolic testimony of Jesus Christ with all its implications would increase and strengthen their faith. That they might rightly understand belief, have their affections changed because of that belief and their affections changed would lead to their conduct transformed. Now in verse 12, Paul also prays for something else. Paul prays that their love might increase and abound for one another and for all more and more. That their love would increase and abound for one another more and more. In verse 12, the emphasis is no longer faith, it's on love. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. The importance and centrality of love in the Christian life can never be overstated. Uh, there are several things I think we need to consider about love, really in order to rightly understand what Paul's praying for here, especially given the misconceptions that abound in our culture about what love actually is. So the first thing we need to understand about love is that God is love. He is love. Many of us are so familiar with that text in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 that tells us that God is love. But do we understand what that means? That love 
is actually defined by the nature of God. We can't understand love apart from knowing God. A God is love means there is no other way to know love. There's no other way to know the source of love other than God himself. All that the Lord does is an expression of his love. Do we understand that? That God is never anything less than love. I think we often miss this. God's love is it, it's holy and pure. His love always seeks the highest good. It's a righteous love that never does wrong. Remember, God's love is eternal. Unlike most other false conceptions of God, most other gods, our God is capable of eternal love because our God has eternally existed in three persons who have been in a perfect loving fellowship with one another. God's love is eternal. And God's love is, is perfectly embodied in that relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, furthermore, in time and space, the, the love of God was preeminently and, and gloriously demonstrated at the event of the cross. We can't know love apart from knowing God, and we really don't know God apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, in 1 John chapter 4, we'll probably be reading this text a whole lot today, 9 and 10. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, John writes, In this, the love of God was made manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be, to be the propitiation for our sins. Our man-made definitions of love are at best, at best, they're pale comparisons. Let's be honest. At worst, they are wicked replicas of the real thing. It's, it's no wonder Tina Turner sung, what does, love have, uh, what does love have to do with it? Uh, she had no idea what love even means. Love is, is just a simple emotion that's, that's fickle and arbitrary and as any other meaningless whim that come and goes. It's, it's a Hollywood definition of love. I fell into type of love. The reality is, folks, it's a satanic distortion of the real deal. It's not love at all. The love that's so often portrayed in our culture and specifically in Hollywood is a chemical reaction. It comes, it goes, but it's not love. And I want you to see this because if love is preeminently demonstrated at the cross, so is justice. Justice and love demonstrated at the cross. Listen, it's not love overcoming justice, but love perfectly demonstrated, justice perfectly demonstrated. Uh, the, the demonstration of God's love is actually also the greatest demonstration of his justice. The reality is never before and never again will God's justice be so perfectly and gloriously demonstrated as it was on the cross. And the same with his love. See, we often think that love was demonstrated at the cross, and when Christ returns, then justice will be demonstrated. No, we got that backwards. 
justice won't be perfectly demonstrated, even when people suffer for all eternity. And that's why they'll suffer for all eternity, because divine justice will never be satisfied. Only Christ was able to demonstrate God's perfect justice because he actually satisfied it. And so people will suffer for all eternity because they can't satisfy God's divine justice. Love and justice, they're not contradictory. Love and justice hold hands at the cross. Love demands justice. That's the reality. And so our God is love and therefore love is not defined by man. It's defined by God. As John wrote in 1 John 3 16, by this we know love because he has laid down his life for us. And so that's the first aspect of love we want to examine is that God is love. The second thing we want to examine is love is a defining characteristic of every believer. Love is a defining characteristic of every believer. In 1 John 3.14, we read this. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. How do we know? Because we love the brothers. It's a defining characteristic of a believer. The believer knows he is a believer because he loves the brother. 1 John 3 goes on. He who does not love his brother abides in death. In 1 John 4, verse 8 and 12, John says, He who does not love does not know God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. If we love one another, God is in us. So the flip side of that then is also true. If we do not love one another, God does not abide in us. Remember, as Jesus has taught in the apostle himself in, in John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I think We've, we've talked about that verse so often at First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, but I think we're often tempted to think of, of this in terms of that people won't know we are his disciples if we don't love one another. But the reality is, church family, is that you don't know if you're a disciple if you don't love one another. It's not we need to love one another so that others will know who we are. It's that they will know who we are because the love we have for one another is a defining characteristic. If that characteristic isn't there, it's not something we're just going to manufacture so we can convince the world. It's actually something that we should be very concerned about because it may mean we don't belong to Jesus. And so, love is a defining characteristic of every believer. The third thing we examine as we consider love is kind of a necessarily outflow from the second. That is, believers, therefore, are commanded to love. You and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are commanded to love. Again, this follows, obviously and naturally, from the last. If love is a defining characteristic of all believers, and therefore we are commanded to love one another. Uh, because what God has worked in us, he commands us to work out. You know that, right? Uh, love, it, it's not something we produce. It's not that we 
produce something that's not there. Let me say that. The seed of the gospel has been planted and the virtues that spring from it are born out of that soil as an acorn produces an oak. It is what happens in the life of a believer. And so God commands us to love one another. In fact, John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus responding when somebody asked him, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? He said the greatest commandment are these in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is also the reason the Apostle Paul writes in Romans that the entire law is fulfilled by loving your neighbor. Romans 13 verse 8 and 9 says... Uh, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Any other commandment, Apostle Paul says, if if God has commanded it, you think of it, any other commandment, and they're all summed up with this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Romans 13.10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does not sin. Love does not transgress. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And even just unpacking this, this Romans chapter 13 passage, it immediately raises up two questions, I think, at least in my mind. It probably raises up more in your mind, but I'm going to address two just immediately. And that is who and how. Who are we to love and how are we to love then? Well, I think most of us already know the answer to these, the who and how of love. In fact, if you go back to our verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 12, it tells you right there the who and the how. Who We love one another and all. It's our love for one another and to all. So if we just work from the greater to the smaller there, we are called to love all people. We know that Jesus himself taught that we are even to love our enemies. And if we are commanded by Jesus to love our enemies, who could possibly then be excluded from the command to love? Uh, Most of us are familiar with the illustration that Jesus used when a man attempted to justify himself by asking, well then, okay, who's my neighbor? The parable of the Good Samaritan was his response to that. See, if we must love even our enemies, the all cannot be limited or qualified in any way. Think about it. Uh, Should we be, by the way, should we be surprised that we're called to love our enemies? Is that not the very love that God has demonstrated us and the gospel? I mean, is our love for even our enemies not portrayed better for us than any other love? The love that God has shown towards us, his enemies at the cross of Jesus Christ? Remember Romans 5, 8, we know this very well, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemy, while we still rejected Christ, while we still blasphemed him, while we still rebelled willingly against him, 
he sent his son, his only beloved son, to come and die for sinners. I promise you, church family, I promise you, because when I said that, that Jesus calls us to love our enemies, I don't know who you were thinking about, but you, you automatically compartmentalize somebody in your mind that you said, not them. No, 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 no. I know what Jesus meant when he said, love my enemies, but not this person because they've wronged me in such a way. I guarantee you, you have never, ever, ever been wronged in any way that is comparable to the way you've wronged God. It is apples and oranges. It's not even worth comparing. So the who is everyone. Love everyone. And now we ask, okay, well then how? How do I love them? Well, Paul writes that very clearly as well in our verse in verse 12. Just as we do to you. Just as we do to you. So if we take just what we've studied so far in 1 Thessalonians, love people in all ways the same way we love you, we would see that even in this letter that Paul had declared the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction to this church. He had suffered for them just so he could proclaim the gospel of God's free grace to these people who did not know it. That's love. He writes in chapter 2, verse 8, that he not only shared the gospel, but he shared himself with them. He opened up his life to them. In verse 9 of chapter 2, he loved them by avoiding being a burden, working day and night as a tent maker, so he might not be a burden to them. Verse 12, by instructing them how to live for God's glory like a father to his children. Sincere love, instructing them how to live for God's glory. Then, of course, really from, from verse 17 of chapter 2 all the way to the end of chapter 3, we've seen Paul's great concern for their sanctification and perseverance. Paul longed to see them because he was so concerned knowing they were exposed to real danger and might not stand in the faith. That's a picture of love that Paul is praying Jesus would make true in this young church. Do you see a theme in all of this? Paul's love is gospel-driven. Paul's love is Christocentric. It is all about their relationship with the Lord Jesus. And I really think that part of the reason that we struggle to love so mightily is because we don't really uh, know what's required of us in our relationship with others. Because does this mean then that I need to be a doormat? That in order to love somebody that I don't ever need to say anything uh, harsh to them, that I don't need to be offensive to them in any way? Well, let, let's again, let's look at the model and example of the Apostle Paul. Paul's love did not make him passive or permissive. Have you read Paul's epistles? Do you think Paul is only loving here or there? He says, emulate me in the way that I have loved. Is he unloving when he tells the church at Corinth that he has divine jealousy for them because he's afraid that the tempter of as might actually have stole them away, though he desires to offer them to Christ, his Lord is a pure virgin. That's not unloving. That's love. Love requires that. See, our conception of love is so whack. Uh, Paul's love drove him to spend himself to ensure that these dear brothers and sisters in the faith persevered. 
We cannot define love as the world does. Why am I saying this? Because we're called to love one another. We need to understand what that looks like. It does not mean that I never offend you. Yes, I should not be needlessly offensive. And if I am, you should rebuke and admonish me. That would be a loving thing to do. But that requires us to have this divine jealousy for the purity of Christ's bride. So, okay, if that's true, then what do I do with those who are outside the bride of Christ? How do I love those who are outside the church then? Well, the same principle applies. Love is their greatest good. You know what their greatest good is? If love is desiring their greatest need, their greatest good, then it's very clear. Their greatest need and greatest good for those who are outside the church is that they would be delivered from the wrath of God to come. So so am I more loving when I don't offend them because I don't tell them they're sinning against the holy God? That justice either has been served on the Christ if you would trust in him and are delivered from the wrath to come or you will suffer for all eternity. I get it, that that may seem harsh in our culture, but it's the most loving thing that we can tell our neighbors. And so we're commanded to love in this way. Fourth, and, and finally, I want us to be reminded, however, that the source of our love is the Lord. The source of our love is the Lord. He is the source of our love. Now, we are commanded to love one another and we are commanded to love all people. It's an imperative that we are to obey. But, but this passage in 1 Thessalonians that, that we read in verse 12, this passage is not an imperative. Remember, as we said in the introduction, our passage is a prayer. It's a benediction. It's one we should pray often. Paul prays, Lord, make them increase and abound in love. Paul beseeched the Lord Jesus to make the Thessalonians love one another in all. And God teaches us how to love. We've considered that in in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. It says that this church had been taught by God how to love one another. In 1 John 4, 11, we, we read, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God has set the example. And it's appropriate to see, to understand, and be motivated by that. But we have to go deeper than, than just God teaching us by the demonstration of his own love. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, the love of Christ actually compels us or really controls us is the better definition. He writes, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. So why does the love of Christ compel us or control us? Because we believe the gospel. The one has died for all. We can take it further than that though. Because the Bible tells us that the love of God is actually in us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, look at this verse with me. He says, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. God has actually poured out his love into our hearts. See, we don't have to manufacture this. 
We just have to understand the gospel and cultivate what's already there. The reality that God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given us. The Holy Spirit, remember, is abiding us, connecting us to Christ, to all that Christ has earned, all that he's merited, all that he's accomplished for his people. All of that is already ours by the work of the Holy Spirit. That includes the love of God. That includes the love of God that frees us because we no longer now strive, work, or labor to gain something that is out there, but something we already possess instead. See this, church. You are deeply, deeply loved. And do you know how much of the world, of what we see in the world today, what we would, would see, the problem with our culture, do you want to know how much of what we see in our world is actually as striving for that type of love and acceptance? Do you really want to know how many people are motivated by a deep yearning desire to be loved and accepted? To be really known by someone. You know which sin is produced by that unhealthy search in all the wrong places? Church, how sad is it that our neighborhoods are filled with people to desire that love that we have within us. And we have the very message that would allow them to experience it. And we don't love them enough to share it. How sad is it? That we have that love within us and we are still so tempted to find that love and acceptance in other places. Listen, Jesus is able to make us increase in love. Let's just, let's just make that our prayer this week. He indeed is the fount of every spiritual blessing and none is more important than the virtue or characteristic of love. So we go back to our introduction and we ask, what's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? She nailed it, really. If you wrongly conceive of what love is, then Tina Turner is right. But the reality is, that's exactly what we need is a heart that cannot be broken. That's exactly what you've received if you were in Christ, a heart that is made whole, a heart that's been filled with the love of God in Christ that can never be taken away. And so you, you cannot preach a sermon without ending, a sermon on love without ending that sermon on Romans 8, right? I'd have to resign as your pastor if we didn't read at the end of this Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Church family, consider yourself blessed. You are free to love one another and to love all. Would, would we just this week make verse 12 our prayer? Pray it every day. Lord, make us increase 
and abound in love for one another and all, just as the Apostle Paul did for the church at Thessalonica. And, and I, church family, I'm, I'm honest with you. If we began to pray that, I know the Spirit of God is going to convict our hearts. I know the Spirit of God is going to lead us to repentance. And I know that because we have God's love poured out in us by that Holy Spirit, that he will answer that prayer. Let's go to the Lord and ask him now. Oh, Lord, gracious Father, that you would help us remember this, that truth. Father, that you would cause us to meditate on your love for us in Jesus Christ, that you've poured out your love into our hearts by the Spirit that you've given us, that you abide in us by your Spirit, and that we are deeply and we are personally loved with a love that cannot be taken away from us. Help us, Lord, to to seek the good of our neighbor, both here at Gray Gables and this family of faith that you've given us and our, our neighbor in the world, whoever he or she might be. Lord, whoever you put in our path, would you help us to love them as you have loved us, that you might be honored and glorified. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church family, if you're here listening to this and you're part of our church family, our, our application is simple. We want you to pray this every day. Pray 1 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, along with us every day. I, I, there are plenty of ways where I know in my life I need to abound and increase in love for my church family and for everyone. Would you just begin joining me in praying this every day? And, and for those who are listening, maybe you're listening to this and you don't know the Lord Jesus. You have not yet met the King of kings and Lord of lords. Would, would, would you, I pray, see the love that's been displayed on the cross of Christ? That you, though all you bring to the table as someone who's rejected God's law, who lives according to the law of their own mind, that all you bring to the table is sin that... that that deserves wrath and punishment, but the God of the universe has shown you grace in sending his own son to die on the cross for sin and in giving you his righteousness. If you would but repent and trust in Christ and receive this free gift of grace and love. If we can help you in any way, if, if, if that's you this morning and you want to know King Jesus, uh, we pray that you'd reach out to us, that you'd let us know. We'd love to talk to you about the gospel do not reject the Spirit of God if the Spirit of God is convicting your hearts. Lean in. Ask those questions. Reach out. We'd love to share Christ with you. Church family, I miss you. Um, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. I hope you have a wonderful week. God bless.